was in the fullness of his ministry for three and a half years, if all of it was written down, there wouldn't be enough books to write about what he did. I mean, there's so many books written about this book. How much more if we had even all that he had done? And so we see that he veiled his divinity, but he also was actively obeyed the Father. He became this God-man in order to lay himself down at the cross for us. And that is so powerful. That is what makes Christmas life-changing. So if you want to have a happy holiday, then just hope and pray your family's not too crazy, that everybody gets together and the food's pretty good, and you get the presents you want, and everything works out, and have a happy holiday. But if you want to marry Christmas, the reason why Christmas is merry is because Jesus stepped into our lives and we ain't never the same. Come on, somebody. I know. That's the difference of a merry Christmas and a happy holiday. So holidays can get jacked up because people can get cray-cray. Y'all, know, y'all ain't been to my family reunion. That's why y'all don't know about it. But that's why they don't let me go. But anyway, that's the difference. And that's what makes Christmas amazing. It's all about Jesus being born into humanity. And that is why the virgin birth is amazing. That he would be the perfect sacrifice for us. Thereby every child that dies with the stain of sin of Adam is in the arms of Christ. That is a good God. Otherwise, go to another religion and try to make it on works. With no guarantees. Because it's all false and all fake, and there is no God but one God, and that is God the Father, and we know him through the Son, Jesus Christ. So, what is so perfect about this? What makes the incarnation so powerful? We get to see the benefits, why it's a Merry Christmas. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says this. This is not our primary text, but it says this, and I wanted to make sure that I go there so we can look at it. Hebrews chapter 2 Verses 14 and 15, this is a blessing that we have. And I shared about this last night. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Isn't that great what Christmas brings? It brings freedom to express the love of Christ in faith. So what are we trying to do today? So I want to go to a scripture today that is theologically not um, on the day of Christmas. In fact, uh, if you see out front, I think it was, I don't want to call out any names, uh, Brandon, uh, I would never mention Brandon's name, McCoy, but uh, that I think he did steal the wise men out front and move them a couple years ago because I, we talked about that the wise men were not there at the very day that Jesus was born. So I'm not accusing him falsely. I'm saying it's possible that Brandon McSwain, no, not McSwain, Brandon McCoy would steal the wise men and moved them across campus. I'm not saying it was him, it just possibly was Brandon McCoy. So, with that being said, I want to look at a passage about that and try to explain it. Matthew chapter 2, if you'll take your Bibles or your phones or whatever you got, or if you're like me, God gave you eyes, plagiarize, you look about, and it works, right? It's better to cheat than repeat. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, let's see this. After Jesus was born in Weir Saints, so it's after he was born, after, meaning not the moment he was born where the angels appeared to the shepherds and you're going to find him in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger and all that. During the time of King Herod, King Herod was uh, an Edomite, an Edomite was of the line of Esau, so Jacob's name was changed to Israel, he had 12 Sons, hence the 12 tribes of Israel. His brother Esau became the father of the Edomites. There was kind of always this battle. But King Herod was just a political figure. Uh, He had the lineage of a Jewish person, but he did not have the heart for God. Uh, He had nine or ten wives, uh, was really crazy and all kinds of stuff. It says, King Herod, Magi 
from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now isn't that an interesting question because wasn't that posted over Jesus on the cross? King of the Jews. Birth, death, resurrection. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. Notice there in that verse, when he called together all the people's chief priests. Not his chief priests. Not his teachers of the law. Because he's not following He's not following anything in the Old Testament. In fact, he doesn't even know Scripture because we're going to see that. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He didn't know. He didn't know the prophecy. He didn't know the prophecy in the, the, of the prophet in the book of Micah. Verse 5. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, you say that doesn't sound impressive, but if only I had time to open up the word of God to show you that King David, when he would write that 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my See, all the years they wanted a shepherd. The Ezekiel the prophet writes about that the shepherds would take from the people of Israel and they would not lay their lives down for the sheep because they really didn't care about the sheep. They only cared about the things that the sheep could give. Where would be the shepherd? Jesus calls himself in the Gospel of John that he is the good shepherd. I mean, all this imagery, all this power, if only we had time to really see the beauty of Scripture. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go. And what, saints? But see, Herod is going to worship him satanically. Herod is going to kill, try to kill Jesus. That's what Satan does. He comes to kill, steal, satanic worship. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Remember the angels appearing to the shepherds? Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all peoples. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. That is, that is the step father of Jesus in a dream. Get up, he said. Take them. It's not the first time he's appeared to Joseph in a dream. He told him, don't get rid of your wife Mary. She's a teenager and she's pregnant, but she's carrying the promised Messiah. And Joseph, being a righteous man, was going to put her away secretly and privately and not disgrace her because he knew that obviously he was a man of honor and treating her with honor. But God said, no. He's the promised Messiah. And by faith, Joseph walked into a very strange relationship and married a pregnant woman carrying a child that was not his, but that was a, be a child 
that would make his life right with God. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Uh, I think it was N.T. Wright called this a coded exodus, just like Moses, and they were free when they came out of Egypt. So there, uh, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to try and kill him, just like they did the Egyptians, I mean the Israelites in Egypt. Remember, they would kill every child, two or less. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. That's what the thief does, doesn't he? That's what Satan does. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Bethlehem is seven to eight miles south of Jerusalem. In this vicinity where, uh, who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Notice that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, right? Because Israel goes into exile. And now the person that's supposed to be the pseudo-fake king that was put there to calm, to calm the Israelites down for Rome. This fake, this fake king, King Herod. He did not have a heart after God. He wasn't a man after God's own heart. He was a man after Satan's heart. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refused to be comforted because they are no more. Quoting Jeremiah 31, 15, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Would you pray with me so that God would open our eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't want to come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that everyone in this room, that their faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on the spirit's power. And I pray today, Lord, that as the weakness of my body and my sin and my flesh uh, I pray that as you work through me and you have forgiven us of our sins and you have washed them as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness and you removed the weight of sin and put on us the light yoke of Jesus Christ who carries the government on his shoulders, who bore all our sins on the cross as the perfect sacrifice so that the flesh and the stain of Adam that brings death and disease and sickness, you give us eternal life because death cannot stop you from being in a relationship with your people. I pray today that you would make this word that is too deep and too rich for me, that you would make this Christmas a Merry Christmas and that it would be life-changing and powerful and that today you would not just sow uh, seeds in our heart that we would trust the promises of God, that you would water it and bring forth fruit. I pray today, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, that you would speak to their heart, that their mind would not be the answer, that their rationale would not be the answer, but you would speak to their heart where life lives and it comes to life. Lord, for us in this room that are believers, that you would increase our faith and trust in the goodness and the promises of God, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, because every word of the Lord is tested. It is flawless. And in the name of Jesus, there is life and purpose and direction, and you have the answer to all problems in this world and all questions in this world and all direction and all fulfillment. It is all wrapped up in a love relationship with Jesus. And if when we start there, everything else will be added unto us. And that is our prayer today, that you would be glorified, Lord, more than anything else. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Lord, your sheep 
are listening and know your voice, Lord. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So transform us by the renewing of our mind. Thank you for stirring up the gift within us. Thank you for taking out the heart of stone and giving a heart of, heart of flesh that's sealed with your covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you. Thank you for your powerful Holy Spirit who will speak mightily today. And we treasure you and we honor you and we glorify you because you are the one that is above everyone else. And everyone bows at the name of Jesus. And it is his name we pray. And all the saints said what? Amen and amen. So let me explain something. The reason why I want to felt led by the Holy Spirit to say this today. So you've heard the song, the 12 days of what? So uh, my, my true love uh, give to me and all this stuff that nobody really understands. What is, what is the 12 days and why do we have the 12 days? Here's why it's important to Matthew chapter 2. Here's why the 12 days are important. Uh, so now, the shortest day of the year is what, saints? Okay, this is good. I feel engaged. I feel loved. All right, come on, we're at Summit. We are pinto beans, cornbread, red rice and sausage. This We don't have candles in here. We're not here. I'm not wearing my robe, though I have one. I'm not wearing my robe. I mean, we're, we're here. We're relational. We talk back. It's cool. It's not going to dishonor God. Trust me. He's going to hold me accountable for you in this. So let me ask you this. What's the shortest day of the year? December 21st, the winter solstice, right? So the winter solstice, the unconquering sun, the Romans said. See, shortest day of the year, but the sun still comes up. Unconquered sun. They worshiped the sun. Caesar was a god. Whichever Caesar you wanted to be was a god, a form of that, but it was the high sun. The sun was the god. And so now that even in the shortest day of the year, the sun still rises, the sun, sun still sets, and it cannot be stopped. So we're going to have a big Roman holiday. Christians said, we don't want to worship your Roman holiday. So we're going to say, since the one who's unconquered and the one who is the true son, come on somebody. His name is Jesus. We're going to worship him. Jesus probably born in March, April. Right? So they side, decided early on, we're going to celebrate. This is just not too long after Christ. They're going to decide we're going to celebrate around December 25th. So let's talk about it. So they celebrate it in opposition to the worship of the sun god. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But why is Christmas so important? That God added humanity. So thereby he could be the perfect sacrifice for us that we can have a relationship. So they begin this big celebration called Christmas. Now, the question is, why do we have this crazy song, 12 Days of Christmas? If Jesus is born December 25th, December 26th, December 27th, come on, December 28th, December 29th, December 30th, December 31st, that's six days, y'all got me, I'm running out of fingers here, January, 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 how many days is that? I didn't hear you called Epiphany. It's where in the early church, y'all know I'm an early church historian, it's where in the early church said, guess what? It's the celebration of the Magi coming to Jesus. These astrologers, these people that are Babylonian, probably just absolute straight sinners that everything that Deuteronomy speaks against, these spiritualists, these people that are out there, they would be like, oh, Wiccans and, and, and warlocks and, and those type of people and, and mediums and those type of, and they all of a sudden show up in the early church to see Jesus has come for the Gentiles, epiphany. Now, if we were in Eastern Orthodox Church, we would celebrate this more, right, from if you would go east of modern-day Istanbul, like into Russia and Serbia and Croatia, right, those areas, you would see the Eastern Orthodox hold to Epiphany a lot more than what we call the Western civilization, but that's where you get the 12 days of Christmas. The 12 days of Christmas are 12 days from where Jesus was born 
to January the 6th, and you will see this in, in Orthodox churches, that they will hold to the Epiphany and have a big celebration because 12 days after Christ's birth, they celebrate the Magi coming to Jesus Christ, which means that Jesus Christ is a light to the Gentiles. And they're represented by the Magi. One of the, you can look at an evangelical dictionary and see this at, at will. Now, I'm not telling you that it was exactly 12 days when they showed up. I don't know the answer to that. I just know the early church holds to that. It's called Epiphany. That's where you get the 12 days of Christmas. So why are we going to this Magi? Why are we going to? Because there's all these strange things around Christmas. I'm going to use the word strange days. Uh, Joe Bloom talks about this in an article. But this strange day, think about this. you got a teenager. She might have been like 13, 15, which is not uncommon that day. Pregnant. She's not married. She's going to a place and she has a baby in like a cave where there's a bunch of smells. Think about this. Her husband wants to divorce her. This is a disgrace. And then you got some Wiccans. Well, not really, but y'all with me? Y'all tracking me? Are y'all with me? Like, that's what you would look at. The, if the Magi showed up today, you would go, if they walked in here, you go, we have some real wild people in here, John. And I would be like, yes, yes, right? That's who some it is. And so that's what happens. These, these people that, I mean, these are Babylonian most likely, astrologers. These people would be, what, we, what most people, I mean, they were like, what? They show up. And so there's this, there's this manifestation, as the dictionary would say, this manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. That's epiphany. And so that's where we get the 12 days. And I want you to see today that because of the incarnation, this is the point I want to get across to you. And then I have like two subpoints. You ready? Here it is. Number one. Because of the incarnation, we can have great joy in strange days. Joe Bloom says, great joy in strange days. And, I, and like the Lord was just working on me. Do you know you and I can have great joy even amongst family that's maybe, uh, sometimes it might be struggle to be around. Or maybe there's been a, a loss in the family. Or, or maybe it's, we don't know where we're going. Or maybe we've got some questions about life. Or maybe we feel like we're in a job situation that we're, that we're resident aliens. The Bible would call us in First Peter, uh, you know, that, that we're strangers. That we can have great joy in strange days. And the reason why we can have great joy, and even says this, we don't know what God is doing. Can you imagine this teenage girl, this stepfather, turning around and three dudes decked out in all this Babylonian regalia that says there's some type of wise men by their dress they show up to King Herod, obviously pretty powerful. Obviously he knows something about it because he let them right into his presence. This people show up. This is strange. Everything about, everything about Christmas is strange. That's why the world wants to make it a happy holiday. Are y'all tracking me? Because if they can take Christmas out and make it a holiday, then they make it more culturally norm. But the Christmas side is strange. To the world. And as believers, you and I, we can have this great joy in the unexpected. I love when Bloom says the unexpected. I want to give you something today that there, I want to give you two reasons why we can have great joy in strange days. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Number one. Number one. We can have the first reason for great joy in strange days is God is faithful in unexpected locations. God is faithful in unexpected locations. You and I could be in a place. I want you to know this is how God, God always moves in unexpected locations. When you think God is not moving, I promise you he is. Read the Gospel of John chapter 5. God is always at work. And Jesus says, I just join him in what he's doing. There's where the power lies. So it's like Jesus coming under the waterfall of the movement of God. And what do we do? We have the Holy Spirit who seals us. He speaks to our heart. The Holy Spirit's also working outside of us and other believers in circumstances. And we just move where God is moving. We line up in it. He lines us in places of brokenness. And boom, shakalaka, that's a spiritual term. God brings something great. First reason 
we can have great joy. In strange days, is that God is faithful in unexpected locations. Let me give you an example. Go to Matthew. Can I give you some good stuff today, yes or no? Are y'all with me? Eat a donut, get some sugar, let's go. All right, let's go. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born where? We don't know. Just take a guess. I mean, Jerusalem's always a good answer, you know, close, but it's Bethlehem. All right, here we go. After Jesus was born where? Good, in Judea, so he's telling you like the, the area of Judea because he wants you to understand it's the tribe of Judah because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is good stuff. Let me give it to you. Oh, my. Here we go. I got a book. Um, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the weir. Okay, so I, I'm trying to get my bearings right from your. So this would be your west. This would be east. So they're going to travel from maybe modern-day Iraq, Babylon. I, I'm not going to down that hill, but... Most of the thing is that Babylonian territory. All right, they're going to travel from the east to the west. Here's Jerusalem. Bang, left. Get down to Bethlehem. They're down there. Now they travel. Now here's what's interesting. From the east. Why? Why is there so much strange in the, in the east? Why are people... Has anybody been at 42nd and Vine on New Year's Eve in New York City? You better put your wallet in your front pocket because it's going to be gone. Y'all with me? Why? You ever been to a big city? Come on, yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> Naked cowboy. And he's making a dude playing a guitar in underwear. Let's just think about this. There's a guy playing a guitar. In whitey tidies. It's okay to laugh. Jesus is joyful. You're not sinning. Okay, you don't have to sit here like, mm, and we're a bunch of monks and we got like caps over us and right, oh, hallelujah. You know, right? It's okay, I promise. It's going to be joyful in heaven, I promise. If you're bored in heaven, you're probably not there. All right, so. <laughs> that was good. Tweet that, please. Tweet that, I dare you, Nick Ballinger. All right, so my, my point is in this is that if you, all right, so when you're in this presence of God, I want you to think about this. These people show up, this is really good. These people show up, why do they come in like the naked cowboy? You, you're in their whitey tighties and he's playing and a dude's making bank. That's weird. You ever been on a subway? I'm one of those people. I just stand as close to the door as I can and don't look at anybody. Just look down. Just you. So when I first moved up, my in-laws were great to me. So uh, when, we fir- when I first moved up to New Jersey, so I was working right behind Independence Hall, which y'all know where the Liberty Bell is, right? And then there's Independence Hall. Well, then there's a building called the Penn Mutual Building. I worked on the 14th floor. And, and so literally, here's this guy from originally raised in North Carolina. I get off the, the, the speed line, which goes subway, right? You go in the subway, and, and you come up, and there's all these homeless people. You know, North Carolina, if you don't speak to somebody, you're rude. So I got up. How you doing? How you doing? Then, you know, a couple weeks into it, I learned it's not how are you doing, it's how you doing. What you doing? Right? And so what I noticed is when I talked to people, people would either get mad at me or they would follow me. So I had a line of homeless people that would follow me to work every day. This got real interesting. Because I didn't know, like, yeah, I need some money. I was like, well, I got a dollar, you know, I'm going over there to the truck. Because, you know, I, I lived at the trucks. Because, you know, them people, they, they didn't, they knew me. They, they just see me come up and they were like, oh, get him a bunch of food. Because I was like spending all my money at the trucks. It was so good. I'm not saying it had a, like, a passing grade, a rating or anything like that. But it was good. And so what happened, I didn't understand. I, it's just strange. You walk into city life, it's strange. But God, obviously, if, if, listen, if, if the world can do strange things, think of what God can do. And so God takes people like me and does stuff with them. That's strange. So here's what happens. He goes, these people show up, these magi show up, and they, listen, they, they're decked out. These are like people of wealth, but they're, they're eulogized because they're of the world. And they're coming to worship the Son of God. But they come from the east. Now listen to this. Magi are, as Warren Wiersbe would say, they're Gentiles called, it's interesting, called by God. But what is this idea of east? Why do they come from the east? 
Why? Let's, let's look at this. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Keep your finger there in your Bible. Let's go through it. Genesis chapter 3. This is where Adam and Eve sin, and they're going to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Man, if I had time, I could. Gosh, that's so much the Holy Spirit gives me. Chapter 3, verse 24. I mean, it's easy to get to Genesis 3, right? You just start at the book front of the Bible and just open your there. Um, it says, after he drove the Lord, after the Lord drove Adam, the man, out, he placed on the what side? Ah, on the east side of the garden of Eden, Caribbean. Eam is a plural ending. So these, these angelic creatures that have these big wings. Caribbean on the east side. And what else does it say? And a what? Flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve had to leave because they sinned. Because sin cannot live forever. Though the king of kings would come to us so that we could live I ain't talking to myself. All right, so, so why did he put him on the east? So isn't it interesting on the ark, if you go and read about this in the, New, in the Old Testament, on the ark, above the mercy seat were these carabine. There were these carabine, and they placed the ark. And it's interesting, you had this flaming sword behind the carabine. So there was this carabine, these creatures, then a flaming sword, that there was going to be absolute, a creature battle and suffering Suffering the wrath of God to get into his presence. Isn't it interesting that over the mercy seat are these carabine? And now they become the defenders of us instead of the ones who reject us from the presence of God. Because Jesus took the flaming sword, the wrath of God. But anyway, it's on the east, so he kicks them out towards the east. So let's, let's look at it this way. If this is modern-day Jerusalem, so he's kicking them out east. Let's keep going. Go to Genesis chapter uh, 4, verses 15 and 16. Let's look at that. Genesis 4, 15 and 16. Four, uh, 15 says, but the Lord said, this is to Cain, after Cain killed Abel. But the Lord said to Cain, not so. Anyone who kills Cain uh, will suffer uh, vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him, remember God's given him mercy because he's begging for it, would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. We're saints. Ah. So Adam and Eve kicked out from the Garden of Eden. They're living east of it. So evidently there's closeness. He kills, he kills Adam. So then now he's going to become a wonder. He doesn't move just a little bit east of Eden. He moves where, saints? Further where? East. Watch, it gets even better. Go to chapter 11, Tower of Babel. Chapter 11, Tower of Babel. We're, we're right, they're, they're trying to make, they're trying to be like God. God knows they would destroy themselves, so he had to give them, he had to confuse their language or they would have destroyed themselves. I mean, think about it. They couldn't even, he couldn't, you couldn't marry somebody when they went into the promised land because they were wrecked. The Canaanites were wrecked with STDs. Verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Verse 2. As people moved where? I didn't hear you. As people moved what? Further away. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Where is Shinar? Babylonia. Where did the Magi probably come from? Oh. Further east. Further east. Further east, why is there, listen, why, why can we have great joy and strange days? Because God is faithful in unexpected locations. Wherever God might send you, he can still show up because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Come on, you're not hearing me, you're not hearing me. God showed up to absolute people that were cursed in Deuteronomy 18. And he shows them grace that those who will receive Jesus as God, who will come to him, there's always a way. Even in the furthest location from God, 
all the way east. And this is why do you think the old graveyards, man, listen, theologians are smart. These people are smart. These old people that died years ago are smart. Why are all the graves in old churches and in some small towns, why are they all buried facing east? As far away as we move from God, watch this, this is so good. Ezekiel 41, 43. So the Israelites don't listen. God kicks them off the promised land. He takes them east into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Are y'all seeing the picture here? The metaphor, the imagery is unbelievable. Ezekiel 43. God is speaking to the Ezekiel prophet. The prophet that he sends with his people in Babylon. Because remember, they didn't read God's word, but God always sent them somebody who would speak his word. Woo! That's why God sent you. People don't read the Bible. They just read you who read the Bible. And then they get mad and say, well, if Jesus is like you, I don't want him. And I tell people, don't judge the messenger, judge the message. So let's look at it. Ezekiel chapter 43. The man... Then the man brought me to the gate facing, we are saints, in the Temple Mount. Oh, if I only had time. It's facing east. Y'all not hearing me? The temple, the temple in 2 Samuel 24 where King David took a census and he shouldn't have. And 70,000 people died. That's much worse than him sleeping with Bathsheba and having Uriah, the husband, murdered. He goes and he looks up and he sees the destroying angel and he goes to Araunah and he says, I want to buy the threshing floor, the, that little mount in Jerusalem, the highest mount in Jerusalem called Mount Zion. And he says, I want to buy it. And the guy's the guy like, no, I'll give it to you. King David said, no, I won't give God anything that doesn't cost me something. You read it for yourself. Anybody who, anybody who wants to follow Jesus, I promise you it will cost you something. Can I get a witness? It'll cost you to stay in a marriage you probably could walk from. It'll, it'll, it'll cost you to stay in a job you probably, uh, the world would say, get out. It'll cost you your finances when you want to serve. And you don't give God money. I don't take money and throw it up to God and he just keeps what he wants. It all comes out. The way I love God is I give other people to other people to his creation. I express his love to others. Because God doesn't need anything. So on the Temple Mount, there, there. King David offers sacrifices, and God stops the destroying angel. He see, and that place becomes the very spot that they make the temple. And they put the temple facing east. And they have two big pillars in the front of the temple. One is called Boaz, which means what, saints? Some of you know it. Kinsman what? Kinsman redeemer, right? Ruth, right? Naomi. Right? He, he, she ends up, Ruth ends up marrying the great-grandfather, King David. Right? And so you got one, one, one uh, big shining, it's made of bronze, one of those big columns there in the front facing east is called Boaz. The other one is called Yaquin or called Jachin, my son's name. Yah for God, Keen established. That's why his name's Jachin Roman. I love the book of Romans. But when he was purple and Lynette was yelling, breathe. And he wouldn't do anything, and they bagged him right there. I thought, well, this is it. But God established. And they put, do not resuscitate on his thing, because from here up, he was purple for days. Days and days and days. He looked like he's dead. And so they would start to do CPR on him in the middle of the little place where all the babies are. The nurses would start doing CPR. And they had to put a sticker, do not resuscitate, because he was alive, though he looked dead. And so, Yaquin, so you got two pillars. So when the sun, where does the sun rise, saints, from the, uh, come from the east to the west? So when the sun would rise on the highest hill of all Jerusalem called Mount Zion, where King David saw the mercy of God 
from destroying the people. It would rise and would hit the two pillars, and it would be absolute gorgeous. The sun would hit those bronze pillars called uh, Boaz, right, uh, and then called Yaquin or Jacob, and would hit and would shine the light over all Jerusalem. And then you would have the priests standing on the steps going up, and they would be singing the Hallel. Hallel means praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And they would sing Psalm 111 through 118 every morning at the morning sacrifice. Looking for the Messiah. Man, them old saints in America, they would bury everybody. I got a city graveyard in my hometown, Salisbury, North Carolina. And every grave, there were hundreds and hundreds, hundreds, there's thousands of people. And they all buried east. Why? Because at the resurrection, it faced Christ. And people knew what they were doing. Then a man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God, of the God of Israel coming from the east. Where was God coming from, saints? East. Sin takes you further out of the presence of God. That's what the Garden of Eden represents, the presence of God. He would walk with him in the cool of the day. Sin takes you further east and further east and further east and further east. and takes you all the way over here to Babylon. But I want you to know that God's presence goes further than my sin. Is anybody getting this this morning? I'm giving you some good stuff. Merry Christmas. And so Christ is going to come from the east. The temple was built facing the direction. The Muslims, when they came in, they sealed up the eastern gate to the temple. It is sealed full of cement because they would have closed off the Messiah's gate. Little do they know that cement can't stop a God. Because Jesus walked through walls after the resurrection. His whole molecular structures changed. He does not live by the worldly standards, nor is he stopped by them. That's why your prayers and your faith in him are powerful. There's not a location he can't speak. If he can speak to some Wiccans and warlocks, he can speak to you. And to that boss you hate. Let's keep looking at it. His voice was like a roar of rushing water. Sounds like Revelation chapter 1, Jesus. And the land was radiant with his glory. Verse 3, the vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I had seen by the Kabar River and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing where, saints? The beginning of Ezekiel, the glory leaves the temple because they're so corrupt. And by the end of Ezekiel, he's prophesying the glory who is Jesus Christ, will come back from the east. Even in the midst of the wickedness of people, God's grace goes further. That's why Zechariah 14.4 says, On that day, Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. We're saints. East of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. There's a fault line underneath. This ought to freak you out. There's a fault line underneath the Mount of Olives. How do you fight that in the Bible? Well, the Bible's a weird book. Oh, it just happens to be hmm, scientifically accurate. Hmm, wonder where that came from. Forming a great valley and with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. When Jesus returns, the Mount of Olives were split in two. The very place where Jesus was betrayed will become the very place where he returns. God can return to you even a place where you betray him. There's not a location. There's not a location, saints. God, don't stop worshiping him from God is faithful. I want to tell you there's not a place he can. And you say, but listen, but John, you just read back in Matthew chapter 2. After Bethlehem, they went to Egypt. Then they went back to Nazareth. Listen, he didn't take just not only a young peasant girl. He took a girl that was coming from a detestable place. You might say, John, but you don't know where I come from. You don't know what I'm like. Let me tell you something. Jesus uses People in locations you'd never think. Watch this. Woo! Do you smell what the Spirit's cooking? Look with me, if you don't mind, in Matthew chapter 2. 
Turn to, turn to verse 19, Matthew 2, 19. Is this good stuff or no, yes or no? All right, okay, I'm just saying, 12 days of Christmas. Here we go. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord, it's called Epiphany, right? January 6th is the 12th day after Christmas. That's why they celebrate in that church history. The Magi come and Jesus comes for the Gentiles. Woo, powerful that Matthew's written to Jews and he's talking about Gentiles. Great stuff. It's apologetic to the Jews to get them to see he's the Messiah. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to, to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother to the land, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, because Herod tried to kill Jesus, now his son's reigning. They're like, whoop, we out. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Where Saints. Listen, you and I can have great joy in strange days. Why? Why can we do that? Because God is faithful in unexpected locations. You might be here and you're not as hard here, not here, but God is here. God will use you. Listen, he will show up in the most unexpected places. You'll think, there ain't no way he can show up in my house, and he will. There ain't no way he can show up in my family, he will. There's no way he can show up in all the pain and suffering I've been through. Yes, he will. He shows up in unexpected locations. Have faith. Have faith. I'll show you. Not only is she a broke present girl that comes from nothing, but now she comes from a place that's deplorable. Nazareth? What does the Bible say about Nazareth? Look at John 1.46. I'm going somewhere, somebody. John 1.46 says this. Listen to this. Nathaniel said to him, Nathaniel, Philip goes to him. He says, we found Jesus. This is the gospel of John chapter 1. Look what he says. Nathaniel said to him, said to Philip, what does he say about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of weir? Man, Nazareth had a terrible reputation, and yet our Messiah grew up there. You might have grown up on the other side of the tracks, but I want to tell you, Jesus is there. You might have grown up in a broken, messed up family. Jesus is there. Well, why didn't he save me from it? That's why he's saving you now. You say, but John... I need a sign that Jesus is real, and I'm going to give you a sign. He came of a virgin. There will be no other sign. That was the sign. There's over 300 prophecies about him in the Old Testament. But if everybody's right, well, God's got to prove it. He already did. You said, but John, Jesus got to prove me strong. Well, if he already bent 600, why has he got to do it again? He already showed up, and he'll show up in the location you don't think. Listen, all I want to challenge you today is have faith in him. Trust him. Let the seed of the promise, trust the promises of God. All this book is for Christians and, and saying, these are the promises. And for those that, that don't know him, he's saying, I love you so much that I'm going to destroy my very son. I'm going to smash him so that there will be no more flaming sword and the carabine that are keeping you away from my presence because of the sin in your life, I will smash it so you can enter into my life. not a location. So now the Babylonian, magi, wicked, warlock people that we would run from show up and worship Jesus. Can y'all play over me for a second? Nick, come on up here. Woo! If you don't feel a spirit, well, <laughs> check it. You can have great joy in strange days because God is faithful. In unexpected locations. He'll never work in my marriage. He'll never work in my crazy sister. He'll never work in that crazy ball. He'll never work with my broken self. I want you to know something, that there's not a sin that you can do that God cannot save. Well, John, there's the unpardonable sin. That's why he saved you. He don't let you go there. Do you not see what they did? They ran from the Garden of Eden. Nick, they ran from the Garden. You ran. Ran from the Garden of Eden. East. East. You know what sin does? Sin moves you into relationships, and those relationships, I'm going to tell you something. Those relationships will take you so far from Christ, you'll wake up one day and say, I don't even know who I am. Why? Because you don't know who he is. And he's trying to talk to you. He's trying to speak to you today. Bring Jesus. Let Jesus 
alive in your location. He's already ruling the earth is the Lord's and everything. Listen, you might say, well, he's not ruling. He's not ruling my house. That's because he ain't come back yet. But when he does, the Bible says every knee shall bow. Right? And every tongue will go, hey, listen, this old body that we don't like, one day we're going to like what we got. Because everything in his presence is very good. And he's worth throwing your life into it. That's why, that's why Nick, man, I love it. He throws his life into Jesus. Thank you for letting him pastor. He won't even take a penny. I'm like, challenge him. I'm like, wow, why won't you let us bless you? No, man. Because the love of Christ has blessed him. Ask him how he grew up. It wasn't the healthiest. It was more like Babylon than it was like Jerusalem. But I'm going to tell you, there's a bright light shining in Jerusalem. And it's not two pillars, though the sun is hitting them things. There's a bright light called Jesus. And when you run into him, just run to him. He's up on a hill. Jesus said, if I be high and lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. Let me just land this plane. Listen, not only will he speak in unexpected locations, but he will speak with unexpected relationships. Woo! This is good. God is faithful in strange days. You can have great joy in strange days because God is faithful in unexpected relationships. There is no way that little Mary and little Joseph thought that these crazy magi, these astrologers that the Bible speaks against. Remember the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. He knew these people are, whoo, but they came to worship. Mm. Unexpected relationships. Y'all have let me into your world. Unexpected relationship. You let crazy in. Sorry. Crazy don't leave. But the reason why you let me in is because I worship Jesus. You know what I found? I can walk with anybody who worship Jesus, right? I, I think about you, the Christian family. And it's kind of interesting, y'all, the Christian family, but you're Christian. I love them from Virginia. I'm going to tell you what, I'll go anywhere with them because they love Jesus. He speaks in unexpected. I didn't know them. But because of Jesus, I get to. Because of Jesus, we know each other. Listen, Christmas Eve is a great time. You know I'm going to present the gospel. You know me. Hey, the Bible's offensive. The gospel's offensive, but I don't have to be, right? Alvin Reed says it all the time. But I'm going to bring Jesus because that's all I got. And that's all you got. I don't care how far east you can go. He's in that location. And he will come with unexpected relationships. Listen, I just want to give you this. I want to just speak something. Listen to this. Go Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to land it right here. Here it goes. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I want to tell you something. You know when the relationship's right when they will worship Jesus with you. If you date somebody who don't worship Jesus, cut them. Not physically. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, I remember we were the ones dancing on the bar stools last night, so I got to be like, you know, I got to break down a metaphor. That's why I love you. You're real. You're real. That's why I love this church. You're real. God doesn't need numbers. He needs warriors. People that are ready to go. Twelve days of Christmas they celebrate. My true love came to me. You're right. He didn't come in as a partridge in a pear tree, but he came as Jesus on the cross. Unexpected relationships. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That means he was stirred up. When people don't come, and what did he want to do to Jesus? He didn't want to, he said he wanted to worship him, but the way he wanted to worship him was satanic. He wanted to kill him. So what is satanic worship relationships? What are satanic relationships? Relationships that destroy. Anybody been in one? Yeah. Relationships that destroy. But when you find somebody who will worship Jesus, you just found somebody. No matter where they're from, 
And no matter what's going on, and no matter what they look like, Magi, walk with them. They know the will of God, which is the Father, to worship Him. Unexpected location, unexpected relationship. So I land at this. This is the challenge to us today. I can't wait till they sing this. Will you trust him in your location or will you run from him? Come on. You want to run from it or you want to trust him? Will you trust his promises? And so for you in this room today that have never had a heart transplant, I don't care about this. This is hell. This is heaven. 18 inches separate hell and heaven. Hell. I know God. Even the demons believe in shudder. They're going to hell. 18 inches. Heart, I lay my life. Any man who loses his life for my sake, Jesus said, he will find it. And I pray something that I said speaks to your heart today. You can't go so far east that Jesus is not further. He went past your sin to save you. If you're 50 yards in the wilderness, he's 100. He left the Garden of Eden. For God so loved the world. That he gave. He went all the way as far east as you can go for you. If you don't know him, here he is. Will you trust him and lay down your life? You've got to be wrecked over your sin. Otherwise, you just have a happy holiday and not a Merry Christmas. Because Christmas means Christ Mass. Christ came. It's not Mary if he's not my Lord. If you're a believer in here, I don't care how far east you are, do you trust him? He'll come. And he'll come with somebody unlikely. Bring you right to him. Father, I pray today for everyone in this room. Who in here is someone who has never given their life to Christ? Wants to surrender to Jesus. They said, well, John, you don't know what I just did. You don't know where I am. Great. You're in Babylon. You're in Far East. You're in the land of Shinar. But, but today, God is saying, hey, you want, will you surrender? If that's you today, I'm asking you, just come and just kneel. If you're physically able, come and just lay, lay it down and say, save me. That's all you got to do. There's no, the, the prayer does not save us, Lord. We know that you saved us by changing our heart because this is speaking to our heart, not our mind. And the enemy's trying to rationalize in our minds saying, don't do it, don't do it. I don't know. You don't know enough about it. You don't know enough about it. You don't know enough about it. If we, Lord, if all we know is Jesus, it's all we need to know. So, Lord, is there anyone here today that you're giving the courage and strength to just to come? Just pray that you get up right now in the middle of this prayer. Call upon you to save them. Be wrecked over their sin. Because their sin leads to death and to hell. But there's a Savior who leads to life and to heaven. Which is your presence. Lord, I pray for the believers in this room. Is there anybody who needs to say, God, I need I need to trust you in this? Maybe I'm, I'm a parent. Maybe I need to be a friend. Maybe I need to pray for a family member. Maybe I need to pray for a job situation. I need to I need to pray for finances or whatever it is. I need to, I need you to, I need to trust you. Is anybody in here that needs to come and just spend some time with the Lord? Just get on their face in front of the Lord. I just need to trust you, Lord. Sometimes I feel I'm in the land of exile. But I know location does not determine my relationship status with you. I need to trust you. I need to kneel before you. If just as your word says, come, let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. For he is God. Who, Lord, just needs to come and spend some time with you. What makes Christmas merry, Lord, is because you're our Savior. And those magi, those unexpected worshipers of God, you took the least of these. That the land of Israel would say, 
absolute pagans and you brought them into your family. They came with the messiahs and they laid their gifts and worshipped. God, we got to lay ourselves as the only things we got. And ourselves as our talents, our treasures, our finances, our dreams, our hopes. Lay it at your only way to have a Merry Christmas, God, is for you to be our Savior and Lord. We've got to trust you, Lord. Help us. We cry out. Increase our faith. Help our unbelief. We could trust you, Lord. We could trust you. In a land of Babylon, in a land east, we feel so far sometimes from you that our feelings do not supersede the fact that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You are there. Thank you for rending the heavens and coming down. Thank you for Jesus. We trust you with jobs, families, friends, finances, futures, careers, past pains, hurt, walking into a Christmas season we might be excited about or we might dread. We trust you. It is not a happy holiday. It is a Merry Christmas.